Welcome to the Epario Codpast. <laughs> Welcome to the Icario Podcast with your host, Oliver Cowlishaw, myself, and the man himself, Shane Blach. Let's get into it. This is episode two of the podcast, but it's episode one of the first series that we're doing, which is what we refer to as how to get your shit together. Like we talked about in episode one, the goal of Icario is to provide like everything you need to upgrade your life across all dimensions that matter. And so then the question is, yeah, where do you start? How do we how do we make this practical? We don't want to just be sitting here like philosophizing about stuff, right? How do you make this practical? Well, this series is basically one approach to trying to make this practical and tangible. So how to get your shit together is a way to think of this across the following dimensions. Physical, so that's health and fitness, emotional, mental health, emotions, etc. Mental, how to use your mind. Um, this would also be like, you know, focus, intelligence, strategic thinking, this kind of stuff. Social, so friendships, family, relationships, etc. Financial, obvious, money. And when you have gotten your shit together across those dimensions, that is when you can most effectively move on to the final phase or the final dimension, which would be virtue and meaning. We can start focusing on, you know, purpose and things that, that are beyond yourself. Because the first five, physical, emotional, mental, social, and financial, are very much about, it's about me, right? How do I become healthier and stronger and better and happier and so on and so forth? And But one of the reasons this is worth doing is not only because it makes your life better, but also because it puts you in a position where you can start looking beyond yourself and you can start uh, making a difference beyond yourself, which isn't to say that you can't do that unless you've gotten your shit together in all these other areas. But it's like, if you get your shit together in all the other areas, you'll be much, much more effective at making a difference to the world beyond you. So in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to go through these dimensions and to keep it practical and also to keep it short because we don't want to have like 10 hour episodes <laughs> we're going to go we're going to basically talk about the three top things to do in each of these dimensions right so answering the question where to start so this is not the entire bible for how to improve your health and fitness it is where to start what are the smallest things the most important things you can do that make the biggest difference so that's that's what we're doing. And this episode, part one, is physical. How to improve your body, your physical health and fitness. And first, let's briefly talk about why start with the physical. Why is that the first one we talk about? And I think that you probably can say a lot of, from your experience as a personal trainer on this. So the reason I chose physical to be first is because your physical health has like cascading effects into basically every other area of your life. Um, and it is, I think it really is the first thing and the most important thing you need to get sorted out. And yeah, so I'm sure you've seen some some examples of this from, from past clients, right? Yeah, and I also consider it to be the, low, the lowest hanging fruit, you know? And, and not only with my ex-clients, I'd notice that if they got their 
their physical health in order, started to move more, doing the basic stuff that most people know they should be doing. But if they actually applied it, it'd be the case that so many other problems would just seem to just resolve themselves into thin air. And I noticed this within my own life too. If I don't train for a couple of weeks, all of a sudden my thoughts start becoming a little more neurotic, just to start having these like problems emerge that seem very real. Um, all these emotional sort of reactive patterns come up again. It's like, oh, okay, I just haven't exercised for a little while. Um, yeah. So yeah, it really is the, it's like the, the further I go along this path of self improvement self this this journey of becoming better the more i realize that the foundation for this is fitness it's the physical aspect of stuff and it's in a in a sense it can be complex but in a way it's also pretty damn simple when you think of the benefits that are associated with it which i'm sure we're going to get to yeah you think the the benefits of this that resolving all these problems that seem very real mental emotional issues and if you think of all the plethora of benefits, it's like, oh, you can have all those for like 45 minutes, three times a week. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, do I need to do this? And that's no, 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 no. Just, just do this three times a week and all these benefits will be yours. It's like, that is the lowest hanging fruit. Absolutely. Yeah. And another, another thing about that, that, that your physical health is a good illustration of is that what you need to do at the very least is get yourself out of the pain zone. So if you think of like, a spectrum of physical health and fitness that goes all the way from the worst possible. So that's like right before you die, I guess, <laughs> and all the way to like maximum fitness and health, right? On that spectrum, there is a zone, you know, you can imagine like you see some, some fitness model or something, you see someone who's extraordinarily fit, a top athlete or something. They're like in the top zone of um, physical performance and fitness in that case. And that is a zone that is good to admire, but it's like you don't have to be in that zone at all. You don't have to be anywhere near like an elite athlete to get all the benefits we're going to talk about, right? But on the other hand, at the lower end of the spectrum, there's like the pain zone where you are in physical pain, like your, your health is basically such a big problem that you can't do anything else. And I think everybody knows this, right? You're like lying in bed with a fever, the pounding headache and limb pains and stuff. So you can't think of anything else than your suffering in that moment, right? And similarly, if you just, you know, if your physical health is so poor that you, it's difficult to move around and you have brain fog all the time and so on and so forth, you're in the pain zone where your physical fitness is so low, your health is so low that it really impacts everything else so severely that it's almost pointless to do anything else, you know? And at the very least, you have to get out of that zone. You have to get out of the zone where this is the, the thing that dominates your life. And that is true across all dimensions. You know, that's the same with emotion. You know, if you're, if you're just emotionally tortured, you're just carrying around this huge emotional baggage. It's just crushing you every day. It's dominating your life. And the same across all other dimensions. So like we, like we also touched on in the last episode, you know, when we talk about finance, for example, it's like you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be a millionaire, but you have to be out of the pain zone where the only thing you can think about is money because you never have enough money. And that's also one of the things we're going to talk about here. Or that's, that's one of the reasons we're talking about these dimensions. All of these dimensions are dimensions of your life where if you don't take care of this, it becomes the dominant problem in your life that 
um, takes away your ability to basically do anything else well. So that's that's how we came to pick these dimensions in the first place. So having said that, uh, physical. Here are the top three things to do to get your shit together in terms of physical fitness and health. And the first thing is find an activity you love doing, find a physical activity you love doing and do that. And here's why. What we often think about when we think of health and fitness, we often think about stuff that's fairly unpleasant, such as if I want to be fit, then I have to go to the gym and lift heavy weights all the time. And I have to be on some restrictive diet. And it's easy to basically say, well, you know, I'd rather be happy. I'd rather be happy and eat pizza than do this. And I think this is this is very important. Like we have to, for a lot of people, going to the gym and lifting weights is just not the ideal solution. Or let me put it this way. For a lot of people, an optimal training plan is not optimal. You should not be doing an optimal training plan. Because if you hate it, then you are not going to keep at it. And you make a you you further a negative association where you think, oh, taking care of my health is just such a drag. I wish I never had to do it, right? No. The thing is, movement. Think of movement first. Right? This is not primarily about fitness. It's not primarily about building muscle or losing weight. It's about movement. And here, I think, for, so for a bit of context, we can safely assume that the human body is made to move and needs movement. And one of the indicators of this is that we have very large brains. So according to Daniel Wolpert, and it's not only him, but he's like kind of a spokesperson of this view, and he has a great TED talk about this. He basically says, look, the, the brain is made for complex movement. The reason organisms grow larger brains is to be able to do more complex movements in more complex uh, environments. And he has this great example of like a, a little, what is like some little sea squirt creature that has a very primitive, very simple central nervous system, so a very primitive brain. And it moves around until it finds like a place to latch onto. And it almost goes from animal to vegetable then. Because it latches onto this place. And when it's found that place, like the first thing it does is it consumes its own brain for calories. Because it's like, oh, I'm never going to move again. I don't need this anymore. So, and that's just one of many indications that show that like basically it's, it's complex physical interaction with the world is what you need a larger brain for. And this is also with, with humans, um, we've talked about this as well, right? It's like the, the only thing, there's basically only one discipline that we are excellent at physically, which is endurance running. So like everything else, we're, we're, you know, there's, there's so many animals who are way stronger than us who are way faster on a short distance than us, who can jump higher than us, who can swim further than us and faster than us. Basically, if you have the animal Olympics, like humans come close to last in most disciplines, except distance running and any multidiscipline thing. As soon as you, you have the decathlon, the animal decathlon, we crush everyone. Because yes, the dolphin can, can um, swim way faster than me, but good luck in the 100 meter dash, right? Good luck riding a bike. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the, and this is this is important to consider, right? So that we developed these large brains 
in conjunction with movement, with complex movement through the world. And the phenomenon of not moving, like for most of your waking hours, is a, is a recent phenomenon in human history. And this is extremely bad for us. Uh, the flip side of that is that, you know, what are, I mean, what are the benefits of movement? And again, let's think about not exercise, think about movement. Benefits of movement are like, okay, it improves your health and longevity. It, it basically has a positive effect on every risk factor you can name. You know, it's like cardiovascular disease, hypertension, whatever, right? <laughs> it, it also is good for your mental health. It's, it, it's a really effective treatment for like anxiety and depression. It's basically movement is a better treatment than most uh, drugs that we have for these things. And it um, improves, yeah, mood and mental health, it improves your skin, it improves your sexual health, it boosts your energy levels, et cetera, et cetera. It basically, there's almost no aspect of human well-being that, that more movement doesn't touch. But again, one of the reframes here is it's about movement, it's not about sweating in the gym. This is why the, the recommendation, the first recommendation is find a physical activity that you love doing and do that because you'll keep doing that. If you love playing a, you know, a game of, of pickup basketball with your friends, do that. If you love playing, I don't know, Frisbee, whatever it's called, ultra, ultimate Frisbee Ultimate or Frisbee, yeah. Do that, right? If you, whatever it is, if you love going for long walks, do that, you know? Uh, the, the main thing is find something you love and really like especially for anyone who is who feels like i'm just not that kind of person it's just i've never been interested in in this kind of fitness stuff it's just not me like this is a quest i would take very seriously find something and there are so so many hobbies you can pursue there's so many things you can do now right it's like in any city you can find just dozens of clubs of all kinds of different activities it's like make it a quest to find a thing that you really love doing I think it's very unlikely that there's nothing there. You know, there's nothing out there that you would enjoy. And you find the thing that you love doing so that it no longer feels like a chore to do it. And I'll add one more wrinkle to this. This is also true if you're currently going to the gym seven days a week. Even if you're one of the fit people, even if you regularly exercise, this is still true. Because, okay, so you're a gym rat. You like working out a lot. How many hours a week of movement is that? That's for most people, something between like three and seven hours, maybe three and 10 hours a week. Okay, 10 hours a week, that's not a lot of movement. Mm -hmm. That you're still sitting on your ass and lying in bed most of the time. I feel personally, personally attacked. <laughs> this is precisely the situation I'm in at the moment. It's like I love lifting weights. Um, and the plan I'm following at the moment even suggests, you know, have, have two days a week where you do cardio for this exact reason. It's like, cause like you're lifting for like five hours a week. Mm -hmm. uh, so find two days of cardio. And for some reason I'm like, yeah, that bit, you know, I can leave that bit. That's not too important, but it's, it's totally true. And in support of what you just said about finding something that, that you enjoy doing intrinsically for its own sake, for some reason, even as a personal trainer for many years, it took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to reach that conclusion. Mm -hmm. After a while of feeling the pressure of being this boot camp instructor and measuring his professional value in terms of how much, how much he can make his clients puke and loathe actually turning up for a session, eventually it became about helping people. And I thought, look, exercise, for some reason, a lot of people just don't, they don't like exercise. 
But the thing is, here's, here's a, a, a little caveat to that. The more you exercise, the more competent you become at exercise, the more satisfaction you get from exercise. But a lot of the people I'd have as a first-time client would be people who have not exercised for years, for many years. Their lives would revolve around basically lying down for eight, for eight hours, if they got that much sleep, which is very rare, but they'd lie down, they'd go to work and sit down, or they'd sit down in the car on the way to work, and then sit down at the office all day, and then come home, sit in the car, then sit at home, and then lie down times 20 years, yeah. and their health would be abysmal. So it, came, it became obvious to me that, look, these people, they are not going to continue this as a habit consistently if they don't enjoy this. Yeah. Because we're human. We don't like to do this. And especially for these people, if exercise is inherently painful, like just walking uphill for, say, 20 minutes is painful for these people. It's like, right, the boot camp instructor thing will just create more negative associations. Yes, we might get better short-term results, but in the long term, six months down the line, this person is straight away back to where they've always been. Yeah. So, you, yeah, you have to find something that is intrinsically motivating, intrinsically rewarding. Like for myself now, I go to the gym and lift weights because I absolutely love it. I keep yeah. saying this. Like I, even if I didn't get any goons from the gym, I'd go anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we're lucky. I have that too. I really like exercising. Just, I like exercising. Um, and and that's great. And we have that as a benefit. But like I said, it's also, it's basically not enough. So still finding another activity that just puts more movement into your life is going to make a huge difference. And on that note as well, so one thing that really helps with the sedentary lifestyle thing, I'm wearing this again, I'm wearing a Fitbit right now. And so I don't like wearing stuff on my wrist, but I have, I have on and off worn activity trackers. And it's just, even though I don't like wearing stuff on my wrist, the, the upsides of it outweigh the downsides most of the time for me. Because one of the things this does, and you know, also I have to say, you know, Fitbit is now owned by Google. So I really am going to replace this with something else because, you know. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't done that already. I know. You know it's, <laughs> it's like, so there, there are other reasons to be skeptical of these things, you know. But the, the basic thing that this simply tracks the amount of steps I take, it just makes a difference. Because if you're having a super sedentary day. And for me, the typical thing would be that I'm engrossed in a work project and I'm like sitting here editing videos all day and writing stuff all day and so on. And then you look at this thing and it's like, you've, you've, you've taken like 109 steps all day. Just like, oh, okay, that's bad. Mm -hmm. And it just makes it so clear. You know, it makes it so clear to you. And I have found that just by wearing this, I walk more. It's just, I don't know. It's just knowing that it's there I find more reasons to go for a walk. Hmm. And immediately, you know, within days of wearing this, my average steps a day go from a few thousand to, you know, to go from maybe 3,000 um, to closer to 10,000. And, and especially now, right, we've been in quarantine basically all year. Um, and I've, so I've been holed up in my apartment more than usual. And I haven't been pursuing other like movement hobbies and things like that. And this is one of the things that makes a difference for me. It's just being confronted with the reality of how sedentary I am makes me less sedentary. Yeah, and you say that that's, that's purely by virtue of being more aware of it. Exactly. So this is the kind of experience I have when it comes to tracking my food. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't, consider, I don't consider tracking your food forever 
oh my God, no, please yeah. don't <laughs> sentence anyone to that. Yeah. Um, but one thing I will say, and this was some, this is something I ran with my uh, personal training clients. The first two weeks you track everything mm. because you, you, it, th- there's a saying in, in personal training, um, what you don't track won't change. Yeah. So if you were just not aware of it, most people are just simply not aware of how many calories are in things. I had a client who would eat a full pack of chocolate digestive biscuits, which equaled when we totted it up around 1,100 calories. And this person was like, oh, the the guess was around 200 calories. It's like, right, we tracked it. And it's like, okay, so you're taking in across the week maybe 7,000 calories from chocolate digestive biscuits alone with your tea and coffee. So I said, right, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> I didn't even say take the biscuits away completely. I said, right, we're going to eat half the amount of biscuits. Yeah. And then she started losing weight. It's like, right, if we didn't track that, if I took her on a word and was like, oh, I have a biscuit every now and then, yeah. we, would just, we would just be spinning our wheels like a dog chasing our tail. We wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. So we don't, what you don't track won't change. But as I say, after two weeks we start a more habit-based approach. The two weeks of tracking was just to give someone the initial shock of like, oh shit, this is actually, I'm eating this many calories? It didn't seem like that much. Mm. Um, And it seems like the same sort of thing can be applied to the walking too. You track it every day, all across the week. Shit, I I burned five calories all day. It's like just by virtue of knowing that. Yeah, and and the other thing is this, what this also shows you is that even if you, it shows you, this is I think one of the virtues of these things, you know, it shows you that even if you go to the gym and you do your workout, you can still have a day with very little movement and very few steps. And you can see that from your step count and you can also see it from your heart rate graph, you know. So you can see like your heart rate spiked once for a half an hour, the entire day, right? And so it's the same thing. It just confronts you with the reality of what's actually, you know, you go, you think you have an active lifestyle. This was basically what happened to me when I first wore one of these activity trackers. Yeah. I thought, hey, I have, a, I have an active lifestyle. I, I'm exercising all the time. But then you look at these numbers and you look at the graphs and you think, well, an active lifestyle does not look like this. And yeah, again, the whole point here is the emphasis on movement. And, you know, things I've done that I've, that I've absolutely loved in the past, um, I spent a lot of time climbing, so like rock climbing. I never did that for fitness reasons. That's just fun to do. Same with martial arts. You know, I was a very passionate martial arts trainee. That was never in order to get ripped or something, right? And and also when you do something like that, you know, you train martial arts. Again, this is not an optimal training plan for building muscle and losing fat. But if it is something you love, then you'll do it and consistency beats everything else. There is no more powerful fitness like lever than consistency. And so the end result is you can either try to force yourself to do the optimized bodybuilding program and you hate it. And then after a few weeks, you stop again and then you go, oh no, now I feel terrible again. You go again, oh, you know, you're curling and bench pressing all this crap and you don't like it and, and so on. And like two years later, what do you look like? Exactly like you look now. Because you always do a bit of training and then you fall off at a bit of training and you fall off at a bit of training and you fall off. It doesn't make any difference. But you, you go to a dance class or you take up climbing or swimming or whatever, you love it, you do it all the time. You're not following an optimal training plan. What do you look like in two years? Like a fitter version of you. Mm-hmm. This is not going to turn you into the fitness model, but you're going to look fitter and better and feel better and be healthier because you're doing it consistently. That's why this is the rule. That's why pick something you love and do that. Okay, so that's number one. 
Number two, sleep more. So this is the second most important thing to do to get your shit together for your physical fitness and health. And did you read the book uh, Sleep, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker? Did you read that one? Yeah. Yeah. So that that is like, basically read that book. <laughs> that is a, a strong recommendation. Such a good book that really makes it clear how incredibly important sleep is. Yeah. And, and just to, just to say, if, um, just to sort of wet your beak a little bit, if you, uh, if you're not completely sold on, on, uh, reading the book, you can check out his appearance on Joe Rogan's podcast where he kind of covers the points of the book. Cause that was my entry. That was my introduction to the book itself. I was like, who's this guy? And he started talking like with, with so much passion about sleep. Mm -hmm. And the guy is, I don't know how old the dude is, but he looks like he's aging incredibly well. And he's got this <laughs> yeah. massive smile on his face all the time. And he's just like, I was like, wow, okay, this guy probably sleeps 10 hours a night with like an eye mask and stuff. And this <laughs> is probably his secret. And it's one of those things. It's like sleep more, sleep better. It, for me, it's always been like, obviously, you read it in practically every health article. But what Why We Sleep the book does and Matthew Walker's research, what it does is it tells you why. Yeah. And I think in the same way that we're going to mention another book, I'm sure, uh, Spark, mm. um, it's the same thing. It's like it's, on the one level you can be like, yes, I think, yes, I've been told that's a good idea. But that doesn't seem, for me at least, it wasn't enough to enact real behavior change until I learned why this is a good idea and the consequences of bad sleep on a physiological level. I think one of the best things you can do for this to elicit real change is to learn the underpinning stuff, like why actually this changes. What what effect does this have in the body? And yeah, why we sleep for that is it's. I haven't found a better book on sleep. Yeah, yeah, and I've read quite a few, and that's by far the best one. Um, so yeah, that's that's a strong recommendation. The other book, actually, I forgot to mention that would be Spark by John Ratty, which does a similar thing for the connection of brain and body. Which basically, if you're thinking, ah, you know, I don't want to be fitness isn't important to me. I'm you know, you're a knowledge worker, you're more of a scholar, you like to work with your, you know, you live in your mind. Well, Spark by John Raddy will show you why for you it's extra important to move because there's such a strong connection between your, your brain's capability and your body's movement. Um, so yeah, that would be Spark by John Raddy and the other one is Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. So a quick quote from the author. Uh, Matthew Walker, sleep loss will leak down into every nook and cranny of your physiology. Sleep, unfortunately, is not an optional lifestyle luxury. Sleep is a non-negotiable, a non-negotiable biological necessity. It is your life support system. So similar to what we just mentioned with you know, how getting more movement basically touches every aspect of your life in a positive way. It's the same with sleep, right? Or the flip side of it is not getting enough sleep. There's almost no measurable thing about the human being that isn't negatively affected by sleep deprivation. And the problem is we're basically all chronically sleep deprived because it would be rare to come across someone who actually gets enough sleep. And because most people have, most people are on kind of a schedule where they have an idea of, well, I know that I should probably be getting like eight hours of sleep, but who, you know, who gets that? But I try to get like seven. But then, you know, I oft, more often than not, I watch another episode of that Netflix show 
or I check my phone one last time and so on. And so actually I maybe get like six hours of sleep or five and a half or something, but then I catch up on the weekend. And the result of this is that is basically chronic sleep deprivation. And um, this is something that is really worth taking seriously because as actually Ryan um, put it like this, and Ryan is one of the Acario team members, so go to acario.com to meet all the team. He put it like this, where the problem is most people are operating at like 80%, but they have no idea. They think that's 100%, right? So they're like, no, I'm fine. I don't need more sleep. I'm, I'm doing well. And you compare yourself to everyone else that's operating at 80%. It's like, no, I'm doing fine. It's like, you just don't know what it would be like to actually operate at 100%, right? Hmm. I, think, I think 80 is kind of generous. 80 is generous, exactly. 80 is generous. So um, so yeah, so one of the things that really become is clear from, from reading the book is that not getting enough sleep, even by a small amount. So even let's say you, you need eight hours, but you usually get like seven and a bit. That is um, a sleep lack that, is, that takes a long time to compensate for. We imagine that, oh, I didn't sleep that well last night, but today I'll get, you know, an extra 20 minutes and it's fine. No, 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 it's not fine. It's like a little bit of sleep lack takes usually several days to recover from. And then you have, you know, I don't sleep enough today. I don't sleep enough tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera. By the time the weekend comes around, I'd need like a whole week just to get back to normal, right? But at most I get like two good days and then I'm back to sleep deprivation. So this is something to take very, very seriously. And I think it is something that for most of us is actually very possible because for most of us, we can't choose or we don't have that much choice about when to get up in the morning because we have somewhere to be, right? You have to be at the office or, or you have to check in to work or something at a certain time. But what most of us do in the evenings um, is unnecessary, right? Because most of us are watching Netflix or scrolling through social media or playing games or doing other stuff in the evening that is actually adding almost nothing to our life quality. Um, and, and yeah, we, we are, and this is all something we'll talk about a lot, right? But we are captivated by various systems that make us feel like we need more, right? It makes us feel like I have to check my social media one more time. I, or it's just, I want to see this next episode. I mean, the episodes are designed so that you want to see the next one, right? It's, it's optimized to do that. So you're captive by these systems that keep your attention in the evening. And also you maybe have trouble sleeping because you're staring at light sources all day. And so when you go to bed, it takes a long time to sleep and you, and you don't like that. So you want to put it off. And so we're, we're captive in a system that, that keeps our attention till late in the night. But again, we're, we're not doing anything important. We're not doing anything that we couldn't just not do and instead get more sleep, but that would just upgrade our life completely. Mm. Well, the, the thing that I've, because I have struggled, uh, I, I struggled for uh, quite a while to get to sleep. And for me, it, it's never been a case of staying asleep has been the problem, but it's it's getting to sleep in the first place that's always been the issue with me. And I've, I've kind of, I feel like I've, I've come to a point where I've overcome a lot of that. And in relation to what you just said about the sort of late night stimulation of like Netflix or your phone or something, I noticed that the one thing that really started to move the needle was the, was, was the, probably one of the simplest things you could do, which is to have a bit of time 
even if it's just half an hour where you just, you are completely unstimulated. You have no external stimulation. Yeah. And it was really weird because I'll just, I'll just, I'll just sit there like a, like a cat. <laughs> you know, I won't be, I won't be entertained by anything. I'll just sort of sit there and just be in my own space for a bit and just look around the room and just like, like I'll not be, I'll not have something that's, that's taking my attention away. Cause I'll notice it's so ridiculous. And I'd often sort of, um, you know, be like, woe is me at the universe. Cause I didn't sleep well, but it's mm. like, if I think about it, what actually what I was doing was I'd be just constantly stimulated right up until the point where I'd just turn my phone off in bed, put it on the bedside cabinet and then just try and sleep and be like, oh, for God's sake, I can't sleep. <laughs> God, it's such an injustice. It's like, look, what chance does your body have of switching off just because you decide it's convenient? Mm -hmm. It's like you've just been stimulating your body for the past four hours using Netflix or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, or YouTube, and you expect your body to switch off because you want it to. It's like, no, you've just been training your body to just be perceiving things and be stimulated and to be interpreting information and stuff. It's like your brain won't switch off at that point. Yeah. yeah. So you've got, to give your, you've got to give your brain a chance to just slow down a little bit. Yeah, it is. It is funny. Exactly. We, <laughs> I, I had that too for for a long time. Where, yeah, I struggled to fall asleep, but often it was exactly like that. It's like, what did you expect would happen? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. All right. So that is the second thing, right? So the first thing, find a physical activity you love. Do that. Second thing is get more sleep and read the book Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And the third thing is about your nutrition. Now, obviously. Nutrition is massively important. And it's also one of those things, you know, healthier eating has just such a long list of benefits. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, especially if you take someone who eats like, you know, the standard American diet style, so lots of processed food and so on. It is almost comical how, you know, give them a bit of spinach or something and just immediately like blood pressure goes down and just everything improves just so dramatically, right? So the body is just starving for something, for actual food, right? Just immediately they come back alive, right? <laughs> They're human again. Yeah. So, but the, the question is, obviously, again, there's nothing new, right? So maybe you're not aware of how dramatic it is, but I'm sure everybody knows, yes, healthy food would be better. <laughs> so, but how do we make this practical? So here I actually have two different suggestions for two types of listeners. So your situation right now is either that your diet overall is basically a mess. So you are eating unhealthy processed foods, you know, you're probably grabbing snacks on the way to somewhere and you basically know, well, this is bad, right? I'm constantly having like snacks and, and, and shawarmas and hamburgers and French fries and, and ice cream. And I can see that this is, this is a problem, right? So how do you optimize from there? And the second situation is if you're, if you're not that person, if you're like, no, my diet is okay, you know, I eat at least as much healthy food as unhealthy food. Um, or maybe even I eat mostly healthy food. Like how do I optimize from there? In both cases, I have a recommendation of like a very simple intervention. So the first case is your diet is a complete mess. How do you fix this? So what not to do is don't go on some restrictive diet. Um, but you probably don't need me to tell you that because you've probably tried that about a hundred times and it didn't work. So next time it's also not going to work. So what do you do instead? Start having green smoothies. Okay, this is the simplest, highest leverage intervention you can do. Start having green smoothies. So let me clarify what I mean by a green smoothie. 
you you get a blender if you don't already have one you get a big blender don't get one of those wimpy you know bullet makes one tiny portion blenders get like a a big blender and a green smoothie is ba when when you basically you fill that entire thing up with spinach and that then blends down into not that much but you know the whole thing is filled up with a spinach or other leafy greens and then you add some other stuff so here's here's a just a very basic recommendation for like a basic green smoothie right so you fill the whole thing up with with uh, spinach you add one or two bananas like one big banana or two smaller bananas uh, those are pretty important for like sweetness and texture um and then you add maybe you chuck in a carrot that's that's a pretty good way especially if you don't like carrots you know you won't even notice it's there but it's very nutritious <laughs> so and then you add uh some some frozen berries that's one of the easiest like if you just buy huge you know in bulk you can get frozen berries berries are unbelievably nutritious it's also one of those foods that's just like off the charts how good they are for you so throw in some berries and then beyond that you add um so definitely add some seeds or something so flaxseed chia seed maybe throw in some nuts um and then you can add some some superfood stuff in small quantities you know maybe add a bit of protein powder if you want extra protein you can add um you know whatever like chlorella uh, reishi mushroom powder stuff like that right or turmeric if you're gonna add turmeric be careful because I, I took Shane's advice with this uh, apprenticeship thing and I just put spoon after spoon of turmeric <laughs> in this smoothie. Yeah. And I was like, bleh. It was, it was the most yeah. bitter thing. I just wasn't prepared for it. I was like, is it meant to taste this awful? No. That's, oh, oh, also add cinnamon. That's a, that's a good one. That's one you can add a lot of. But yeah, turmeric and most of this stuff, like turmeric, chlorella, and you know, powdered mushrooms and stuff like that is all great for you, but add like one small spoon. Because you want it to disappear in the mix rather than just be, oh my God, what am I drinking? <laughs> so, but the point is, so then you blend that all up with your favorite plant milk um, and you can test different things. I recommend using, you can also use milk, but there's some downsides. Like most people don't react well to dairy, right? And even if you're not um, lactose intolerant, it's like still, dairy is just a problem for most people. Uh, so you're probably better off not using it. It's better to use a plant milk. It's better to use that than water. It generally just makes the smoothie more palatable. So you blend all that up and then you have a big jug of this smoothie. And the thing is, and it'll take a bit of experimentation, but you can make this taste really good, right? So I'm talking about something that it, this is not going to be a chore to drink. This tastes like a tasty smoothie. Um, and here's... <laughs> Here are the reasons why I recommend doing this. So the first is that this is an absolute nutrition bomb. And I also want to address something because some people might balk at some of the recommendations I'm making here. For example, ooh, banana, you know, banana is sugary. This is bad for you for this and that and the other reason. Listen, I'm talking to someone whose diet is a mess. This smoothie with two bananas in it is a thousand times healthier than this smoothie with two bananas in it is a thousand times healthier than about 90% of what you can buy in a supermarket, right? Yes, we can discuss about whether bananas are problematic or not, but this is, this. forget about it, okay? Have a, a, a smoothie that tastes good and don't worry about the bananas, all right? <laughs> because what we're doing here is we are giving ourselves a nutrition bomb that contains loads and loads of stuff that is usually missing in, in our diet. 
which includes, you know, fiber, lots and lots of fiber in this smoothie, but also includes just all kinds of micronutrients. And it's all from whole foods. And the thing is that, so if you track your food, which if you do that, by the way, I recommend that you use the Chronometer app, which is an app that gives you not just like the macro nutrition, but also the micronutrition breakdown of everything you eat. And that's one of the things where you'll see one of these smoothies just maxes or gives you the daily recommended dose of so many micronutrients. It's unbelievable. It's just basically nothing else you can eat that does that, you know? And so literally, a smoothie like this, for someone who's on the standard American diet, a smoothie like this contains more valuable nutrition than, than what they get in weeks of eating, right? And this is, this is the thing. That it came up for me earlier when, when you were talking. It's like we have, if we, if we have all of these different micronutrients just sort of on a, in a list, people can go for weeks and weeks and weeks with some of these super necessary vitamins and micronutrients being completely void in their diet. Yeah. Some of these things that support really crucial bodily processes can just be completely deficient for just weeks or months. Yeah, and your body just compensates. Yeah, and they don't, they're just completely unaware of it. Just this vague feeling of feeling, oh, I'm knackered or mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm tired, I'm fatigued and stuff. It's like it might, it could easily be there's a couple of these micronutrients that you are completely deficient in that you're just not aware of. Yeah. That if you were not deficient in these things anymore, that would sort the problem out. Yeah, exactly. And also on that note, you know, taking a multivitamin does not have the same effect as getting the same vitamins out of whole food. So this, there's, there's tons and tons of studies on this where for some reason, it's even a, a whole, I think there's a book called Whole that's about this, how very often what will happen is that, you know, you discover that, okay, I don't know, blueberries are super healthy, right? You, you feed people blueberries and these health markers improve. So then some, you know, enterprising company comes along and says, ha, we'll do blueberry extract pills. So they, they take the active ingredient from the blueberry, put it in a pill and it's like, hey, have this pill. You give people that pill, the health market doesn't improve, okay? So there's something going on with whole food that is not the same. So if you're thinking, oh no, I'm fine with my vitamins because I take a multivitamin every day. No, you're not fine. That's not the same. This makes me laugh because I, because one of my friends is a proper hippie and I often make, I used to make fun of him because I used to be obviously a personal trainer. I'd be super like all the science and all this stuff. And he just used to say, oh, this, this food doesn't, the energy is bad about the, in this food. It's like <laughs> the energy is not great. And I'm just like, how vague can you possibly get? I'd really lead, I'd really go in about this. But <laughs> if he heard you say that, I'd be like, he, I'd know exactly what he'd say. Just be like, yeah, it's because the whole foods have the energy of the universe in the for God's sake. <laughs> but the science is now saying, yeah, you can't just condense this stuff yeah. into pill form and get the same, same sort yeah. of uh, same deal, which was a loophole I tried to use before. Because yeah, I don't naturally, I just, as, as I've mentioned to you many times, I was like, I didn't eat much healthy food growing up. So it's like difficult for me. I used to think that, oh yeah, the, uh, the you know, pills, Pills will be the answer. Then yeah. I heard that, that it's just not the same. I was like, damn, I yeah. might actually have to eat healthy stuff. <laughs> and again, but the green smoothie is like the easiest way to do that. So the other, the other reason why the green smoothie is great and why I advocate making a huge green smoothie is the simple principle of displacement, okay? So the, the food you eat displaces other food. 
Which is to say that if you just have one green smoothie every day and you make absolutely no other effort in your diet, your diet will be massively healthier because you're getting all these nutrients from the smoothie and you're filling yourself up with this smoothie, which means that there's other food you're not going to be eating, right? So you have this big, big smoothie and that is, is essentially like it's taking up a certain amount of the total food you're having today. You're not going to have this whole smoothie and then eat a donut because you'll be full to the brim, right? That's that's the thing. So there's this is the thing with the, the, the like smoothies, like big green smoothies or or anything. You can put like if I was making a green smoothie, I would put protein powder in there. Protein has a satiating effect on hunger levels, as does fiber. Mm-hmm. Now, from all the all the spinach and everything else, you'll probably get enough fiber Tons in there anyway. Fiber, yeah. so you're full of fiber, you know. Um, but there's also a supplement called psyllium husk, mm-hmm. which is just basically just pretty much just pure fiber in a spoon, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I highly recommend as well, like psyllium husk. So yeah, the, the, the satiety of a smoothie like that, in, in terms of like pure, the pure volume of how much food you're actually blending, mm-hmm. the fiber, the protein, and everything else, it's like, yeah, you do that, all of a sudden your cravings for all this sugary stuff and whatever else. Yeah might just evaporate yeah and you'll just be full for a few hours right you have the smoothie you'll be full for a few hours there's just a few hours of not eating junk food and this is this is where i recommend to start with a messed up diet is don't think about restriction first start displacing more and more unhealthy foods with healthy foods right so don't think about oh i can't eat this i can't eat that i can't eat no no the smoothie make smoothies that you like and have them and then you can also start exploring other healthy foods that you like you know so it's just like you have more options of food that you like that happens to be healthy and you're not always depriving yourself. So this is what the smoothie is really good at. And also what you mentioned, right? you can throw in some protein powder if you want to have more protein in your diet, your exercise or whatever. Uh, you can throw, you know, and, and you can easily customize this smoothie because, you know, you need some more zinc in your diet, throw in some pumpkin seeds, need some more protein, protein powder, hemp seeds, you know, throw in some peanut butter, whatever, right? Um, you can customize this. You throw in some avocado if you want to get more fat, this kind of stuff, right? So that's super, super useful. And it's also useful for essentially hiding valuable nutrients in there that you would otherwise not get. So for example, one of the healthiest foods a human being can eat is algae or seaweed. And most of us just don't get seaweed in our diet, right? But it's super, super healthy. It's full of all kinds of amazing nutrients. Well, Instead of trying to figure out how do I make a seaweed salad that isn't gross or something like that, right? You just get some powdered seaweed and you just put like a spoon of it, you know, a small spoonful of it into your smoothie. You won't notice at all, but it's not enough for it to affect the taste. But now you're getting this nutrient that otherwise you you wouldn't get, right? Mm, I think something to just mention, the, and this is the same for the exercise recommendation as well as the nutrition recommendation, is that one, one thing I saw as a personal trainer and I never, I never saw that this was useful to actually helping people change their lives, is this kind of almost masochistic deprivation mentality mm-hmm. where I'm super hardcore, I track everything, I never eat anything I remotely enjoy. Every exercise session I have, I basically punish myself the whole time because reasons. Yeah. And I was just th- I was thinking, damn, this is, this is not good for long-term like even mental health or anything. So the thing that you're mentioning with the, with exercise and with nutrition, it's like the lowest hanging fruit, the lowest friction 
thing to do. Do the thing that you enjoy the most first. So that, like, if, you, if there's loads of healthy food that you actually really loathe, you don't want to eat, mm. don't eat it then. Just have yeah. a smoothie that <laughs> you enjoy drinking every day. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think that that whole, you know, deprivation, self-torture and so on, I think that is for elite athletes. You know, if, you, if your life's purpose is to is to run a faster mile or or you know whatever do do this this one performance thing in your uh, in your discipline then that's what you do right that's you're driven by this purpose but for anyone who is not a professional athlete if you're not getting paid to do this don't do it if if you're not getting paid to train don't torture yourself like that all right so that is the green smoothie intervention for a messy diet. I mean, it's good for anyone, basically, but that's that's where I would start, like for the reasons stated for a messy diet. So what if your diet is already pretty good? What if you're thinking, or maybe you're thinking, you know, I already have green smoothies. Um, I already eat mostly healthy. Is there another thing you can do to level up easily to level up your, your health through nutrition? And I think there is, and it would be time-restricted feeding or also intermittent fasting. It's basically the same thing, right? Um, and time-restricted feeding is, so in terms of, of health benefits, there's a lot to be said about it. Um, but I would say that there, there are a couple of things that are really worthwhile about it. The first is, there was a very interesting study done on um, a large group of nurses. Nurses are often recruited for studies where they looked at the feeding window, which is basically what is the time between the first calorie ingested and the last calorie ingested in the day. And they noticed, and this was a long-term study, and they noticed that the difference between whether the the feeding window was 12 hours, was more than 12 hours or less than 12 hours, was dramatic for health outcomes. So in other words, people who have a fasting window, so a period of time where they don't eat, that is shorter than 12 hours, shorter than half the day. There are, that basically means that predictably they get various diseases sooner and more often and they die sooner. And it's a really dramatic result compared to people. So literally someone who uh, has 12 hours of fasting versus someone who has like 10 hours of fasting. Huge dramatic difference in health outcomes. Huge. And in part, it's probably because of the circadian rhythm. So food is a signal for the circadian rhythm. And if you eat for too long of a period during the day, it kind of throws off your circadian rhythm and you just, it has detrimental kind of domino effect of, of health problems, right? So that is the, the, the one thing that I think everyone can benefit from. Make sure that you have basically at least 13 hours of fasting every day. In other words, you know, um, if you're, eating breakfast at seven in the morning, then you don't want to be eating dinner at eight at night, right? You want to make sure that your dinner is earlier or that your breakfast is later. Then another thing is that there's a lot of stuff that happens when we fast that is really good for us. So the body kind of goes into a different mode. It kind of goes into cleanup mode, right? When we fast. And there are lots of benefits of longer term fasts and it's somewhat debatable of how much benefit there is to something like a 16-hour fast, right? So like eating during eight hours, so that's like the skip breakfast, right? You skip breakfast means that you eat for eight hours roughly a day and you fast 
for 16 hours. I think I think this is often like there's false advertising around this because people often talk about intermittent fasting and refer to benefits that come from long-term fasting studies. I was like, no, no, the, the, the benefits that someone derived from a three-day or seven-day fast, you don't get like a small percentage of those benefits in your 16-hour fast, you know? Mm-hmm. It takes longer for that for those modes in the body to kick in. So I think that, yeah, often it's, I think it's overhyped. It's one of those things, right? Intermittent fasting, everybody's talking about it now. It's, it's, I think it's overhyped. It's probably not as good for you as you've been led to believe if you've kind of read articles about this and stuff like that. But it's almost certainly good for you. Um, and the one thing I would also recommend is like just pay attention to how you feel because I've experimented with this a lot um, you know, when do I start eating? When do I stop eating in the day? And something that um, I, I, for example, I recently read some studies that really indicate that probably having breakfast and skipping dinner would be better than skipping breakfast and having dinner. And I really tried to make this work. I really tried to make this work, but I just, it just doesn't work for me. So if I just pay attention to like my energy levels and how I feel and, and how well I sleep and so on, if I try to have breakfast, it just doesn't work. But I, again, it's one of those things like unless I would have experimented with it, unless I would have started experimenting with skipping breakfast, I would have never realized that I actually feel much better when I skip breakfast. So it's the same kind of thing. I would have been like, no, I'm fine. And I'm not realizing that I'm operating at 80%. So that's one thing that, um, like I say, anyone with any diet, this is something you can implement. Make sure that you have um, a, a fasting window of more than 12 hours and try skipping one meal and see how that feels. But basically skip either breakfast or dinner because of the fasting window. You don't want to skip lunch. That makes no sense, basically. Um, and it's also for weight loss. A lot of people notice that basically when you when you remove one meal from the day, you're no hungrier than usual. You, you don't feel like you're depriving yourself from anything, but you just eat less. And you're much more likely to, if you're overweight, to go to normal weight with what feels like no effort at all. Yeah, because you had plenty of people. Well, I've always, I've encountered plenty of people who they they struggle with late night snacking and just putting a putting a limit on that, saying to like eight o'clock or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is I've I've noticed with some of my clients in the past that just doing that alone would would cause them to lose like half a stone of weight or whatever. It didn't even feel really that much like effort. Yeah. All right, so those are the three highest leverage, simplest things to do to level up your health and fitness. Find a physical activity you love doing and do it. Get more sleep and read Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker and either have green smoothies or do time-restricted feeding or why not both, you know, break your fast at noon with a green smoothie. And if you do those three things, that's already a massive upgrade for your life. And then in the next episode, we'll get into the next area, which is emotion and talk about the three most effective things to do to get your shit together there. Cool. So that's, right. uh, that's it. Show notes at ikario.com forward slash 